Welcome to the Dover Download Podcast, your weekly look at what's going on in Dover, what's going in in Dover, and all things Dover-related. My name is Chris Parker, and I'm the Deputy City Manager here in Dover, and I'm going to walk you through all of that, plus more. We were fortunate enough to chat with Gary Bannon a few weeks ago about all of the recreation opportunities here in Dover, and we've had so much to talk about, we invited him back. Welcome back, Gary. Hi, Chris. Thanks. Always great to talk to you. The last time we chatted, we we went over a lot of the great programming, the history, your history with Dover, uh, your activities in Rhode Island prior to coming to Dover. One of the things I'd really like to focus on today, which we didn't really get to other than in passing, is the McConnell Center. You are, in addition to the recreation director, you also are managing and coordinating the activities in the McConnell Center. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, since uh, we opened in 2007, you were integrally involved in that project to help build this building to make it the McConnell Center, a community center. My department you know, was a part of the mass movement into the building back uh, when the design was put together. And fortunately, I think it was, uh, it was kind of providential that uh, our department was the kind of anchored one of the anchor tenants largest tenant of the building but it made sense at the time uh with staffing needs and building management uh needs in place already you know coming forward that we me and my staff kind of took the the initiative but offered the the opportunity for the city to use our department as the managing group or staff to help oversee the building so that was uh not knowing what you're getting into kind of offer but uh but a very much rewarding one and i'll i can talk more about what that what that means and definitely, I want to hit there. But before we get there, I do want to just for the listeners, if you're not aware, the McConnell Center, uh, which was built in, I think, 1904, 1905, it was built as the Dover High School, replacing the high school that had been out on Grove Street, uh, approximately where the um, railroad station, that sort of area. Uh, so this building, the McConnell Center, opened in 1904, 1905 as the, the high school. It was replaced by Dover High out in 1967-68 school year out on Durham Road and became the middle school and was the middle school, excuse me, at first, it was a junior high because mm-hmm. um, when I came here in the late 80s, it was a junior high. And then I think I want to say like four or five years later, uh, mid 90s, when the sixth grade came. So it was seventh and eighth when I came here and then became sixth, seventh and eighth. And it was a middle school at that point. And then in 2000, when the new facility opened up out on Daily Drive slash Durham Road, then sort of came to a conclusion of what do we do with this building? And there were a couple different options. You might remember there was a look at doing the police station. Mm -hmm. We looked at doing that here. We looked at doing the uh, courthouse. Mm -hmm. Uh, We looked at doing it. And ultimately, the city council created a reuse committee Mm -hmm. with a bunch of local residents and uh, interested parties. And there's some deed restrictions. There's some funky Mm -hmm. aspects of what has to happen on this property or some of it reverts. And through that process, we came up with what is a pretty unique structure, a pretty unique programming. Want to give us a quick overview of what that programming really looks like? At the time, back between 2000 and 2004 and five, that's when all these conversations were going back and forth, what to do, you know, look, and the court had a period of time to vet its possibilities, and it took them almost, almost a year to finally realize that they, it was more expensive for them to renovate the building to build a new one, so that had to go. The police station, same thing, had to look at it. So all those studies were being done, but at that time, I was fortunate to get to know a lot of the directors of a local nonprofit agencies. There was about 20 different nonprofit agencies that called over either home or a branch of their agency 
agencies in Dover or in the area. And we would meet monthly uh, to just have it's kind of the, the monthly director's meeting. And we'd meet at Harvey's and have a chat about what are we doing, how are we doing, to help each other, you know, facilitating programming. It was really good, a really very fruitful group. Well, at, that was during a t- that same time frame. Well, several of the groups, once the school moved out, as we as the recreation department were doing as well, were utilizing what was an empty building for an expanding of our program. We were using the gym. We were using some classroom space for different classes that we didn't have room at our previous location, which is uh, Butterfield Building or Butterfield Gym, which is now the Children's Museum of New Hampshire. We were there, but we didn't have enough room, so we were expanding. Well, all these different groups, uh, Dover Adult Learning Center, the Hub Family Resource Center, they were all trying to look for room to grow too. So they were renting space. Uh, it was a bunch of different groups. And the and it just was like a, a light bulb moment. Like, what's going to happen with that building? Is there any way we can get more space? Fortunately, we had some very insightful uh, directors and they were very good at grant writing. They were able to get a grant to do a study and we had a consultant come into that group and meet with us, all the different agencies, and put together a uh, kind of a concept plan. Reuse concept. Reuse yeah. concept that was used as the footprint or the format by which the city's reuse committee used is if the city were to be the landlord and facilitate the renovation of the building, then these agencies could be tenants. So it'd be a, it's called a multi-tenant nonprofit center. And at the time we looked at for other models, say, let's not reinvent the wheel. If someone else is doing this, maybe we can get from them. At the time, there were only three other places in the country that had a similar model where a municipality partnered with nonprofits to do a joint facility because usually it's all either government or all nonprofits, not the two don't cross paths in a, in a management perspective. And this just seemed to be the perfect opportunity to do that. And that's what the proposal showed. And then thankfully, uh, it was moved over to a movement uh, within the city to have a committee vet it and come up with the plan. The mix of tenants here, there is some health, there's some nonprofit uh, social services, uh, certainly recreation is here. Uh, at the time, uh, there were a couple of different variations on daycare, mm-hmm. some uh, young, some elder. Uh, the senior center is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great mixture of interconnected users. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you must see that all the time. You must see how people go from one room to another, mm-hmm. one office to another, really building and collaborating together. And that that's honestly, Chris, the, the strength of the McConnell Center is the goal all along from the initial conversations we had was about collaboration. It wasn't about a bunch of different tenant silos and everybody does their thing like a condo so that people would just have their space and, and not interact. It was meant to be a shared, not just a building, but a shared programming. And we use the umbrella health, education, recreation, and culture were the four groups, types of groups, agencies that we we're looking for that were actual programming space, you know, doing programming and activities. So they would have clientele coming and going. It wouldn't just be office space. It would be more than that. And that's what we ended up, especially the initial groups were mostly very lo- you know, local groups that had a lot of interactive clientele. Uh, and, and it was just easy for them, as you just said, to just literally send people down the hall if there's a, something else that was needed, whether it's social service side or recreation or educational or opportunities or need for like with Dover Adult Learning for someone getting a high school equivalency or or some enrichment or something like that. It's like, oh yeah, it'd be great. Just go downstairs and that, that check their programming. Or And as tenants, we meet monthly and we share what's going on. So it's not like we, we know we're in the building. We actually meet. We have internal conversations. We we can walk down the hall so that this is built out. I said 15 years ago, we've had turnover, you know, we've had tenants come and go, but all the new tenants bring the different other 
elements that we didn't have initially. So, and the building is full, and uh, it's a it's a beautiful thing when you you know as a manager of the building and economically accountable to the city for the operation to make it pay for itself. We have a, a very attractive location. It is a great location in the city. It has interacted with the, like the city municipal campus with the library and the city hall and 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 the district court nearby and restaurants and businesses. We we're in the heart of the city on a on a transportation routes. We have everything going for us. So all these agencies literally are some waiting in the wings to say, do you have any more space? Or do you have any space? Or other groups in here, do you have any more space? So we're constantly, uh, you know, trying to work out the best options for the program space that was available. And also, this is another element we have, we have several community rooms. We're not just specific to the tenants. We have community space where any agency group wants to meet. Nothing just needs to work through my department and reserve the rooms. There's a small rental fee uh, if it's not related to the building operation. Uh, we use this for events. We have campaign events from political season. We have you know, celebrations. I mean, it's just a great community center in every sense of the word. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking earlier... Uh Maybe it was late May, early June. There was a blood drive. There was, you know, you bring people from the outside. There's the restaurant here, right. uh, which certainly is not just uh, available to the people in the building. It's it's a public space in the sense that the public is encouraged. One thing I want to touch on and sort of dive into is I think the public might presume that the uh, the tenants are here for free. Mm. But the reality is everyone that's here, including yourself, pay rent. Right. Yeah. Every department, so the city department or every tenant pays a per square foot rent, which covers the cost of operating the building, you know, the just utilities and, and operation maintenance, but also helps cover the debt service. And that's one of the, again, a model, the beauty of the model was the city is renovating the building up front of the front of the money, put all the work in, you know, millions of dollars to invest in in a building that was, is very stable. It was, it was a sound structure built 120 plus years ago, uh, 120 years ago, that is still very sound. And it had the initial building in 1904, the wing built in 1928, another wing built in 1981. All of the bones of the building were solid. It just needed a, a total renovation of you know, all the utilities, obviously getting all the details, but the investment was well worth it because the building will last 100 more years. So all the investment and then the tenant's investment on top of it has allowed the city to get a $25, $30 million building you know, for several million dollars, you know, and, and make it usable for many, many years. So we've been, it's a well, well stewarded facility and asset of the city. It's something we can be very proud of. I get calls from all over the country, people asking, how do you do that? How did that happen? Can I, you know, can you send me something? How does the budget work? You mentioned the budget. How does it work? Yeah, we charge the tenants and the city we pay for our space, but we work it based on the actual budget. We don't do it based on speculation or just throwing numbers out. It works with the market, the, the, the rental market. So we have a good handle on what it costs to run the building and bring enough money to cover the costs and pay the debt service. So the tenants who have almost half the space are paying that debt portion of the debt service so the city doesn't have to pay it. So we it's a win-win. You know, we got a building and the debt service is almost all paid is being paid off. In the end, the building will continue to invest in itself and the city will have a great asset for years to come. You know, it's interesting and, and you bring it up, the debt service. I remember at the time, and so we're talking 2004, 2005, was we're looking at numbers mm -hmm. and it was between three and five million for the initial rehab renovations. That would be 30 million at least today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you, if you could think about wh what we accomplished for $5 million, mm. uh, and, and one of the things that I, I laugh at and remember having conversations about at the time is it's a 103,000 square foot building. Mm. 
40% of it is hallway and circulation. Right. You know, it was designed as a school. So there are wide hallways and a lot of that you can't charge rent on. So uh, it was an interesting puzzle to put together. And I agree with you. Not only is the city uh, having a gem here, it's one of the things I continue to look back as a um, positive thing that I was able to do in my career is work here and work on this building. It taught me in some ways about budgeting, but also project management and the ability to see the good in people and programs mm. by what could come out of this building. And mm. you're right. Some of the tenants have changed over time. And some of those ones at the time when they, when they started here really seemed like, would they last? Mm-hmm. Um, and then others are still here. Uh, and I, I think it's great. You mentioned Dover Adult Learning, and certainly they are, are like you, an anchor tenant here mm-hmm. in this building. Uh, but also, they were integral because they were located at the corner of Atkinson and St. Thomas Street in their own building, an old Unitarian church that they had purchased and, and occupied. And without them coming into the building and the city being able to remove that structure, you wouldn't have the playground that was needed for the daycare. Mm-hmm. And the daycare space was the ideal location for that sort of facility to go. So it all sort of interweaved together. Mm. Um, I will say, and it's, it's one of those, um, it was a, a really, uh, uh-oh moment at the time, but it, it was a great learning experience. I remember being at my house probably six thirty, seven o'clock and getting a call from the police that uh, the demolition team had knocked part of the church into a, the house next door. The steeple went the into steeple, the yeah. no, it went into the part of the house and part of the power line. It was yeah. it was an interesting day. Yeah, it was a very interesting day. But 15 years later, yeah. everything is for the better and, and there's no issues. It, it's just a great thing for this, the community to, to cherish as an amenity. Part of the evolution of this building uh is in the the grounds and the layout too. I remember in 2004, one of the committee members who was also a counselor at the time was really pushing that we pave the front lawn for parking. And granted, there is a tough parking Mm. conversation here, but I can't imagine if we'd gone forward with that, Mm. how different the feel would be here. The evolution of that, there were grounds, there was the ginkgo tree that didn't make it. Right. Um, Then there were um, the... um, manicuring the lawn and then finally what three years ago now the veterans park opened up and i i think it's it's good to note um and it comes up from time to time particularly around memorial day and veterans day the difference between uh what we're trying to accomplish on the front lawn here with the the veterans park Mm. versus uh some of the memorials that are up at pine hill cemetery Mm. you want to talk about how that that park came to be and in the goals of it right and actually it starts right back with the mcconnell center what's the mcconnell center Oh, this is Joseph McConnell. That, that's good, we didn't <laughs> well, cover that. Good, missed good that, point. Missed that point. Captain Joseph McConnell, a Dover native, uh, Korean War triple ace fighter pilot, uh, just you know was an outstanding testimony uh, to to the country and, and our military and the Air Force. Uh, just to stick to itness and, and what he accomplished. And uh, the the gentleman's name who came to the council regularly to help promote putting McConnell, General, Captain McConnell's yes. name on. On the uh, on a building or on something, and then the McConnell Center. I know uh, uh, Council Jason Hindle helped facilitate that. He was very adamant about 
getting the McConnell name because we just called it the City Hall Annex and the right. old middle school and right. what we're going to call this thing. And then it, it just like a light bulb, like, why aren't we thinking that? And, and McConnell is ideal, Captain McConnell. So that being done was just to set the ball in motion for honoring our military, you know, giving ourselves a chance to make a statement. And this was a huge one. But the Veterans Park also was on the on the uh, in the conversation uh, of what what can we do to add to that that legacy of Captain McConnell and that uh, just a thought or an idea of having a veterans park of sorts in somewhere in the downtown area was out there and it took years it took years uh, and it just kind of sat there for a while and finally uh, several city council members and some of the public just said can we just follow through on that? Can we find a way to do that? And very fortunately, we got a ton of support uh, from the council and from the community. To, and, and we got a great design. And uh, the location being on the front of McConnell Center was perfect because, it again, in the middle of the City Hall campus and, and, and municipal campus, uh, right in the downtown in front of McConnell Center. And it's got over 800 named bricks in it uh, for veterans. It's a uh, it's a veterans park. It's not a, so to speak, veterans memorial. Um, it's honoring veterans who are still alive or families that, you know, folks uh, that served the military from wherever they were. It's not, it's interesting. People say it's Dover Veterans Park. So is it Dover Veterans Park or is it Dover Veterans Park? Well, because it, is it only for Dover veterans or people who lived in Dover? No, it's not. It's Dover's Veterans Park. It's for all veterans that Dover is honoring. And that's how we approach it. And it's exciting because I'm fortunate. This is one of the another uh, hats I wear is the curator, so to speak, of uh, the honorary bricks that go into uh, people's ability and still are able to have bricks made, four by eights or eight by eight bricks, uh, honoring veterans. And uh, we still put them in twice a year. And uh, if you have a chance to come by and check it out, please do. But you can honestly, uh, by on a website or in person, uh, get a veteran's brick uh, made, and then we can install it. But that one of the I was alluding to is my my contact with so many families through that process over the last several years is just again humbling to me because one of the things they ask is uh, we have several people in our family, can we put the bricks together? You know, and you know, absolutely, totally. And seeing some of the numbers of fam- family members are in, in some of the areas where we put bricks together, it just it just floors you. Uh, it just really does. That uh, you know, one member. Is, is plenty. Absolutely. I'm not saying it, it's a difference, but just seeing the commitment of time of family members in the military is pretty, pretty neat. And we have a great uh, legacy of that here in Dover. So, but again, putting it back to the conversation, the McConnell Center and the McConnell Center facility, the library, the campus is just, is just like, and, and as a part of that project, we put a, a kiosk map information center in alongside it with location of all of military monuments and, and uh, you know, Warren. sites, memorials, plaques around the city, it's on the map. So literally, if you want to go find every one in the city, there's a map that shows where they are. And that was always, where I don't know where to find them. Well, we didn't have a document to hand them. So, well, let's put it as a part of the Veterans Park. And here it is. So that was put in as part of the city's wayfinding system last year. So we're getting around to it. I mean, all these things take time. But fortunately, I think we have a treasure in every aspect of between the McConnell Center, the Veterans Park, and, and everything we do here, I think it's top-notch, and uh, we should be very proud. So it's good to end on a note of pride, but I do want to ask, uh, similar to when you were here last time about challenges, where do you see the McConnell Center going? What sort of things, like if you had your wish list of, uh, or your crystal ball maybe, of uh, what the next evolution is going to mm. be? Well, I think 
you know, as my department, we're in two hats here, the rec department, uh, we, you know, we run our own recreation programs here. We have facilities here. We also oversee the senior center. Uh, we work very closely with the police department, the teen center. Uh, we've got, you know, a lot of city facilities, the welfare department, uh, you know, other, you know, city facilities here. Um, we're, we believe we're going to be here for a while. Uh, <laughs> So we are, you know, that space is, takes up a significant amount. But the, we just can't add, we're not going to add any more space. It's just, if we didn't have this, you know, we have this building. If the city were to have another facility or another school or another building that could be converted into this type of model, that'd be amazing. Like if, if now I don't see it happening in the near future, but down the road if an elementary school were consolidated or something changed in the, in the population where, you know, other, again, another facility facility, Connell Center model is a viable option. And I right. think that would be my future encouragement is keep that idea out there because giving up a facility, selling it off, cutting into something you know, else, I think misses the mark. This could have been. Right. You know, we had that conversation. Right. Yeah, that's true. People we saying, did sell it, sell it, turn yep. it into condos. It was like, going to be apartments. Yeah, apartments. Like yeah. what? A, in this location, what? A, what a loss out of that. Absolutely, like, absolutely. You know, doing this on a, on a on the outskirts of the city wouldn't have the same impact. I think because of where we are. Right. makes this place so much more valuable. Right. The access to other services and amenities, the public transit, yeah. the uh, public transportation, if you wanted to use the train to get here, the fact that it's easily walkable. You're right. It's an ideal location for this type of facility. Mm. So this is round two for us. <laughs> I have Come a feeling on, that we'll be, back, we'll be back for more. I, I, I bet you we will. I appreciate you coming by, Gary, and I appreciate all that you do here for the city and the passion, as I've said before, uh, that you bring. I I really think that Dover is lucky to have you well, here on staff, and I'm glad to have you as a coworker. Well, thank you, Chris. I'm blessed to be here and so thankful for the chance to share. Uh, this is a, a joy to me as I get up in front of budget <laughs> presentations and any chance I get, I just I have that desire to share this because it's so great. Yeah. So thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Bye now. With almost 400 years of history, Dover's got a lot to tell. Up next, Mike Gillis is going to walk us through what happened this week. Early in the 19th century, when Dover was still a thriving port, the landing was a busy place, bustling with ships and cargo and the comings and goings of commerce and sea captains. With so much activity, both on and off the waters of the Kachiko River, tragedy was not uncommon at the landing. July 14, 1835 was no exception. On that day... The body of 56-year-old Plato Waldron was pulled from the water, where he was presumed to have drowned. Plato Waldron was well-known in town, having lived his entire life in Dover. For many years, Plato could be found at the courthouse, then located on Court Street in Dover, where he worked as a janitor. He also served as an undertaker and sexton at First Parish Church. But Plato's time in Dover was also unique. Plato, an African-American, was born in Dover as a slave. For many years, Plato's family... His mother, Dinah, and his sister, Chloe, were the slaves of Thomas Westbrook Waldron. Waldron, one of Dover's wealthiest residents, was the great-grandson of Richard Waldron, one of Dover's legendary town fathers, remembered for the sham battle that forced many local Native Americans into slavery or death, and that led to the massacre of nearly the entire village of Dover by the vengeful Penacook in 1689. Today, we know much about Thomas Westbrook Waldron and his accomplishments, wealth, and property, which included Plato and Plato's mother and sister. When Thomas Westbrook Waldron died in 1785, he bequeathed Dinah and her children and their future heirs to Thomas's wife forever. 
Days later, Plato's mother, Dinah Waldron, took her own life, perhaps unable to bear the idea of losing her children to other members of the extended Waldron family. Plato was six years old at the time. Although slavery is often associated with the southern United States leading up to the Civil War, slavery did exist in the North, including in New Hampshire and Dover. It's not known for certain how many slaves lived in Dover in its earlier years. There are accounts of slave owners and slaves in Dover throughout the 1700s. And in the census of 1775, 26, quote, slaves for life, unquote, were recorded in Dover. In the 1790 census, Dover reported eight slaves and six slave owners. Dover, though, did produce some of the most vocal abolitionists in New Hampshire and even the nation, including Senator John Parker Hale, who spent his career advocating for the abolition of slavery and was the first U.S. senator with an openly anti-slavery platform. Also active in Dover was the Morning Star, an anti-slavery newspaper published by the Free Will Baptists beginning in the 1830s. The newspaper's vociferous campaign to end slavery continued until the end of the Civil War. In 1841, Dover was the first New Hampshire community visited by Frederick Douglass, the nation's most famous black abolitionist. And Dover's residents formed no less than three anti-slavery societies, all of which were active in petitioning elected officials to end slavery. It's unclear when Plato was officially given his freedom, but it's likely to have happened after the New Hampshire legislature removed slaves from the tax rolls in 1789. And even once Plato was finally free, slavery was not yet abolished in New Hampshire, where slaves continued to be counted in the census off and on until 1840. The New Hampshire legislature passed an act in 1857 that stated no person should be disqualified as a resident of the state, which likely served as the official end of slavery in New Hampshire. There was some momentum by then to right the wrongs, and by 1860, New Hampshire was one of only five states that allowed African Americans to vote. Still, it's unfortunate that we know so little about Plato Waldron, and even less about his mother and sister. We know Plato was married twice, in 1810 and again in 1834, the year before he died. When Plato's body was discovered on that July day in 1835, no one could be sure what happened. Some newspaper accounts speculated that he was simply bathing and drowned, while others said he may have taken his own life after being treated poorly by his second wife. We'll never know, though. As with most of his life, unfortunately, there were no witnesses. Thanks for listening to the Dover Download this week. If you like what you heard, subscribe through your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you have something you want to hear a topic on, let us know. Finally, this is just one of the many ways we share information about the city of Dover. You can subscribe to the Dover Downloads email newsletter every week or other newsletters that we have by going to the City of Dover homepage, www.dover.nh.gov. Have a great week. Have a great week.